Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did I tell you that we relaunched our TV podcast that is now called the Prestige TV Pod? We did it in time for Succession, which is launching in October. But there's so many good shows this fall. We got Yellowstone and Billions and Insecure. We have The Shrink Next Door. Is Mayor of Kingstown going to be good? We're going to be breaking all of it down. The morning show season finale. We are going to be here. Like, we're going to treat it like we treat the NBA playoffs. If there's a really good prestigious TV show, we're breaking it down in this feed. Check it out. The Prestige TV Pod from the Ringer Podcast Network. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Monday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope everybody enjoyed what was as bad a one o'clock slate as you're going to have for a football Sunday, but as good a finish as you could have with two games with Buffalo and Tampa Bay, Cincinnati and San Francisco, all sorts of playoff ramifications, all sorts of craziness. They got Kornacki out already doing all the, the the permutations and all the math and all the nonsense that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks. And it really hit home to me. And I wonder if it hit home to you guys today in seeing the playoff graphics, in seeing Kornacki on Sunday Night Football. You got like every team in America at like six and seven or seven and six. Look at the AFC. Look at the NFC. Yet, here we are in New York City. Another rotten, vile year of having nothing to look forward to over the final four or five weeks of the year. What is there to look forward to with these two football teams? They stink. They just absolutely stink. They're unwatchable. They're lousy. And in many ways, they have probably sucked out a lot of your fire a lot of your emotion, a lot of that energy that you guys love bringing to the table. I feel your pain. I really do feel your pain. 
Because as I'm watching the football today, you could not have had two more disgusting yet expected performances from both the Jets and the New York Giants. And I'll start from a Jets standpoint. Look, Elijah Moore is out. Corey Davis, even though he wasn't anything to write home about, is out. Michael Carter is out. But you keep waiting for Zach Wilson to have a game where you open your eyes, for Zach Wilson to go out and master this offense. Did anybody see that in a 30-9 whooping at the hands of the New Orleans Saints? Not me. First half, first three quarters of this game, there were plays to be made for Zach Wilson. How many times do I need to see Zach Wilson ML receiver by 15 yards? Miss somebody wide open in the flat. Throws that basically me, you, Stefan, and everybody out there could make. He's in his own head. That's the sense I get watching Zach Wilson play the position. He is a victim of what's going on between the ears because he's thinking too much. It's basically the equivalent of stepping up to the golf ball and thinking about what you're going to do with it 10 zillion times. You're probably going to hit it five feet and right into the ground like I do. Paralysis by analysis in many ways. Maybe at some point he will understand less is more. But those simple throws, those easy throws, he's not making them. They're drive killers. It doesn't help matters. They have Ty Johnson at running back, who's basically incapable of catching a pass. Then you have the situation at the end of the first half where they got a timeout in their back pocket where the officials obviously don't exactly cooperate, and you have that going on. But it's just the signs consistently of what we are seeing from a losing franchise and a losing football team. I don't equate where the Jets are at right now to three years ago and seven years ago and 10 years ago from this standpoint. This draft class looks like they've hit on some players. Last draft class, Becton doesn't see the light of day. Bryce Hall's a solid player. 2020 draft class is not, at this moment in time, looking swell for Joe Douglas. But at least I can look at 2021 and say, you know what, there are some things I like. You know what I don't like at this point in time? The quarterback performance. I have not had that one glimmer, that one game that has me saying, yeah, this is what I can have for the next decade. And the fact that you haven't had that from a Jet standpoint stinks. 3-10. and ten, And it is now the 10th consecutive year, a decade, of not going into the postseason. That's hard to do in the NFL. That's really, really hard to do. And not only have the Jets missed the playoffs, they've had one winning year in that span. They've only had two years in that span where they've been mathematically alive going into like week 16 or week 17. Expected this to be the case going into the year. Yeah, we knew the Jets were not going to be a playoff team. But you wanted to feel good about this quarterback. And this is another week where you just basically chalk it up to, yeah, the quarterback didn't look the part and didn't play well. Then you get to the Giants. And shame on me. I apologize. I was actually dumb enough to think that the Giants would make this game ugly and would make this game low scoring and would hang around like they did in a couple of their road games over the last few weeks. Couldn't have been more wrong. Don't look at 37-21 as some sort of telltale sign for how this game was played. This game was basically a 30-point game with the exception of some garbage time points and 
a potential backdoor that went out the window when Mike Lennon threw an interception. Look, what do you like about the Giants? In, in all honesty, what do you like about the Giants? Do you like an offense that continues to be inept week after week after week? Are you gung-ho about pedestrian Saquon Barkley, who basically only puts up numbers in garbage time? Are you giddy about the Giant defense? How about the Giant defense? Think about this sequence in this game. This is this sums up the Giants and their pathetic nature in a nutshell. 10-point game. They got the ball at the Charger, I think, 41 of 43-yard line. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. They got outstanding field position. They go three and out. They maybe gain about three yards. They punt it back to the Chargers. Herbert, boom, boom, boom. And then the spectacular play thrown at 60 yards in the air, which was an absolute missile. But how exactly are you in that position if you're the giant defense? Embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. That sequence in a nutshell is why the Giants are what they are again here in 2021. They're poorly coached. They coach cowardly. We saw that at the end of the, or the beginning of the first quarter. Fourth and two. Chance to set a tone for the game. Cowardly. Let's punt the football. Pathetic. Defense. No answer for Justin Herbert. No answer for the running game. And then the Charger defense stinks. Everybody's been moving the ball on the Chargers. And the Giants couldn't do it basically for three and a half quarters and did it when the game was over and done with. So what am I getting at with the Giants? It's time to start a nil. I know you guys and gals are probably sick and tired of hearing this because we've done this so much over the last seven years. New head coach. Yeah. New general manager. Yeah. New quarterback. I'm in favor of that. Barkley, not resigning him. I'm in favor of that too. Blow it up. Blow it the hell up. The idea of trying to even sell me on this head coach coming back next year, based upon what? You like the way the Giants look week in and week out? Please. Hire a GM, let him pick a head coach. And I was in Joe Judge's corner after his first year. This is just sour to the point where I, I got to start a new. And what Giant fan would try to tell me otherwise? After that second Super Bowl with Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin, you have one playoff game to speak of. The mighty Giant, one playoff game to speak of in about nine years. And I get it. Listen, I don't, I, I don't ever want the narrative to be, oh, well, think about your franchise, JJ, or think about the Bengals, or think about... Yeah, we get it. The Giants are very fortunate. They're very lucky. It doesn't excuse nine years of gross incompetence. It doesn't. And it's not to say, oh, well, because you won those two Super Bowls, you can't complain ever again. That's, that's, that's nonsense still. Of course you can complain. All these teams are in a hunt. All these teams are playing meaningful December football. And we got zilch around here. You know what we got as we get closer and closer to Christmas and the holiday season? We got two Big, fat lumps of freaking coal with these two franchises. So get giddy about the draft that's coming up. That's a that's the next thing we'll hear about now. Oh, the draft. The, the Jets and the Giants. Two picks went in the top 10. Yeah, that's, that's basically all I got for you. You want something to feel good about? Maybe that's something you feel good about. You want another negative note? I'll give you another negative note. The Knickerbockers. What happened in a feel-good team that I watched last year? And I get Sunday. Throw completely out the window. You're playing Giannis. You're playing the best team in the league. 
You don't have R.J. Barrett. You don't have Obi Toppin. You didn't think there was a chance that Hella Nixon winning this game with all the stuff going on in the protocols. And you didn't have Alec Burks. But the Knicks went into last week where I mentioned Indiana and Toronto as winnable, gettable games. They lost both. They got their doors blown off by Milwaukee. Julius Randle is a shell of the player he was a season ago. The numbers back that up. The look and the feel on the court backs that up. Couldn't have had a more wide open look to end the game on Friday. And you knew he was going to miss the shot because you just have no confidence in the world that Randall is going to deliver. And that's why on Saturday when I'm chilling at the beach, I see all sorts of trade rumors here, trade rumors there. Get used to it. When you're a sub-500 team, clearly something is off. Clearly is something's not clicking the way it was clicking last year for the Knickerbockers. Little regression to the mean. I think that's definitely part of it. But they get off to terrible starts. They got off to another terrible start on Sunday. How do you solve that problem if you're a Tom Thibodeau and company? They don't seem to know. They don't seem to know. After the Warriors does get a little bit easier over the next couple of games, great. I thought Toronto and Indiana were going to be easy games. So much for that. Knicks lost both of them. I thought Orlando was going to be a couple of easy games. They lost both of them. No easy games for the Knicks. They got to find their mojo. You remember Austin Powers? Got to get my mojo back. That's kind of where the Knicks are at. They got to get their mojo back. It's not there. It's not there. So it has not been a fun couple of weeks for them. My goodness, not a fun couple of weeks. And then the Nets at the end of their game, listen, it's not pretty. They have to sweat it out a little bit. But you know, at the end of these games, they got somebody they can rely on who's going to bring you home. It's, it's a nice luxury to have. Not every team in the NBA has it. Let KD work his magic. Let KD bring it home. He's going to bring it home. Must be nice. Must be freaking nice. We got a loaded show for you. Not only do we have the misery of what's going on around town, which is like not even a holiday tradition. It's like, it's like a weekly tradition. I, I like to think of myself as like a positive guy. It's this woe is me bullshit basically every week. Sucks. Absolutely sucks. But that's New York sports in a nutshell. Unless you're a Ranger fan or a Met fan giddy about potentially landing Buck Showalter, which would also break me. The guy I wanted managing the Yankees not going to be managing the Mets. Please don't even. But before we get to voicemails, we'll run through what was an insane 4 o'clock window and now a very confusing, very wide open playoff race in both the AFC and the NFC when we're talking about wild cards. That's coming up next. All right, so before we get to voicemails, week 14 in the NFL is all about what happened in the late afternoon 4 o'clock window. The 1 o'clock window stunk. The 4 o'clock window was off the rails. Bucks, Bills, holy moly, what a game. Tampa was up by 21 points. I thought Buffalo was dead about 10 zillion times in this game, especially when they were down 14. They had a 4th and 2 they punted the football, gave it right back to Brady, and of course, they ended up kicking a field goal. I'm saying that's as cowardly as it gets. Tampa will now win this game going away. Credit Buffalo. They kept fighting. They got some stops on defense. Allen, even though he had basically no other running game to speak of, he ran for over 100 yards. He throws for over 300 yards. He's getting it going to Beasley. He's getting it going to Diggs. Davis makes this incredible play at the end of the game that extends and gets you a first down and keeps your hopes alive. And when they get inside the Tampa 20-yard line, you think they're going to pull out 
an unthinkable victory against the quarterback who flat out owned them. There were a couple of questionable calls, including the one I hated the fade route to Diggs. You could make the case you could have called pass interference there. Not a great officiated game at the end there. Definitely a couple of calls that could have gone the way of the Buffalo Bills. But this is where I'm going to take McDermott to task a little bit. And this is definitely outside the box. And it's not like a major, major critique, but it's significant enough for me to mention it. You're playing Tom Brady. You got all the momentum in the world. I don't want that game going to overtime. I'm two yards away from converting and probably scoring a touchdown and winning the game. I am going for it in that situation. Most coaches around the league are going to kick the field goal. Not me. I got a red-hot quarterback. He's making all sorts of plays. Fourth and two. Let's keep Brady on the sideline. Let's let my franchise player, let's let my quarterback go and determine the fate of this game. Right here, right now, we need two yards. Didn't work out that way. Because after they don't score in overtime, Brady is smart enough to find a mismatch. Rashad Perriman matched up with Edmonds. Burn a wide receiver against a linebacker in the slot. It's never going to end well. And I think Rashad Perriman is still running for a touchdown. I'm sure Joe Douglas loves seeing that on Sunday. But now Buffalo is at 7-6. and six. Here's the positive for Buffalo. I know their hopes for winning this division now are pretty much dead. They have Carolina. They have the Jets. They have Atlanta still left on the schedule. Buffalo is making the postseason. And if I'm Sean McDermott, if I'm that team, I am taking what we were able to do in the second half as like a building block, as like a confidence booster to get you going over the final four games, go three and one in that stretch, get to 10 and seven and make noise in the postseason as a wild card. I don't know if Buffalo will be able to do that with their inability to run the football and with their defense, especially from a run perspective, completely being shot. But that's what you need to find as far as a takeaway. And then how about the Niners? How about that niner Bengal game? Heart attack city if you ended up having San Francisco like I did. Misery business if you ended up having the Cincinnati Bengals because it's the ultimate tease. Buffalo and Cincinnati were like the two biggest teases you could possibly have from a gambling perspective. But think about this game. Niners are up 14 points. Everything is going wrong for Cincinnati. I mean, everything. They're muffing punts. They're missing field goals. They can't protect Joe Burrow. Their play calling was super shaky and questionable. Nightmarish. Nightmarish for Cincinnati. But you know what kept them in the game? They had a far superior quarterback. Joe Burrow is leaps and bounds better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's got an if factor about him, folks. We'll get some of the throws he made at the end of this game. With pressure in his face, with Nick Bosa in his face. He's soaking up on big fourth down conversions, big third down conversions. The touchdown to tie the game. The, the unbelievable catch by Jamar Chase. Cincinnati ties this game up, and I'm sick to my stomach. But I'm even more sick to my stomach when I watch Kittle make an insane catch. Robbie Gold had made like 25 straight tying a go-ahead field goals. Shanks won. Thanks, Greg Gumble, for that one. And when the game goes to overtime, and when Cincinnati wins a toss, I think I'm completely screwed. They kick a field goal. And this is where you got to credit Garoppolo. Because he and Kyle Shanahan figured out they don't have an answer for George Kittle 
Let's find George Kittle every which way. And that's exactly what they did. He made three or four spectacular catches. And then the play by Brandon Ayuk to keep the feet in bounds and extend across the pylon, it's one of the more acrobatic and one of the more athletic plays of the year, as far as I'm concerned. Monster, monster win for the Niners, who now at seven and six kind of put themselves in the serious driver's seat for that second wild card in the NFC. And with Cincinnati falling to seven and six, you know what that means? The AFC North is there for the taking for anyone. Why do I say that? Because of what happened today in Cleveland, which also was probably the worst beat of the year for anybody who had the Cleveland Browns minus two and a half. We feel like we got away with murder here today because we had Baltimore plus two and a half, but that's a story for a different day. Lamar Jackson's ankle did not look good. He gets carted off the field. He's done after a quarter and a half. I have no idea when he's coming back. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's two weeks from now. But with the other injuries on that team and with the other limitations on that team, if they don't have Lamar Jackson, I went through their schedule. I tweeted this out. Packers at home, at Cincinnati, home against the Rams, home against the Steelers. If they're playing a backup quarterback, I don't know if they're getting another win this year. I love Harbaugh. I know the team is mentally tough. I know they're super resilient. I don't know if they're getting another win. But this game, they're down three scores. They're playing a backup quarterback. They were completely cooked. I, for the life of me, am just shocked. Shocked that with Mr. Hunley, at quarterback, needing to cover two and a half, Baltimore was able to cover two and a half. And two big plays in this game that I think are going to be scrutinized. The Ravens went for two, scored a touchdown, nine-point game. Instead of kicking it, making an eight-point game, they said, we want to force the issue right here, right now. That's what the New Age analytics tell you. I'm not going to fight them on that. A lot of the old school folks are going to have a problem with it. It's one of those decisions, for me at least, I'm far more on the fence about. I get the idea of the analytics saying, hey, guess what? You know exactly what you need. But I also like the idea of extending the game. I get being more aggressive with a backup quarterback. I really do. I get being more aggressive. Didn't really matter, though, for the Ravens because they got the miracle of a lifetime after scoring a touchdown, getting the onside kick. They had a chance right then and there to get 30 yards in the field goal range and win the game. Didn't happen. The Brownies, anything but inspiring. Mayfield is playing at like 60% and just cannot make big plays down the field. But the Browns are 7-6, and six, and they could start thinking not only about the postseason, they could think about division titles. The other results of note. How about the Chiefs smoking the Raiders? Nice effort from the Raiders, by the way. The Raiders go and dance and do a little dopey celebration on the 50-yard line on the Kansas City logo. Maybe uh, don't give up 40, 48 points. Maybe lose by uh, 10 instead of 41. Just, just a little food for thought. The Raiders, they completely the tank. They completely fall apart at the end of every single one of these years. And the Chiefs, they look like a powerhouse again. The AFC is shaping up to be Kansas City and New England. That's the way it's shaping up. Madness in the middle. Kansas City, New England look like the creme de la creme. And then if you want to have some fun in the NFC, I mean, take, do yourself a favor and take a look at the six and seven teams that you have in the NFC. You want to laugh. Because I think San Francisco will get in at this point. Washington, 
Minnesota, Philadelphia, Atlanta, New Orleans, all at six and seven. And technically, Carolina and Seattle are still alive with a pulse at five and eight. Insanity for that last playoff spot. And you were wondering if Dallas was going to yuck that game up at the end. They found a way. They found a way. That was one of those games for the Cowboys. They, they were kind of in the same boat that the Ravens were in. They were up big. It felt like they were in cruise control. They knocked Taylor Heineke out of the game. But some just costly turnovers from the Cowboys led them basically right back in the game. Not a great day by any stretch of imagination for Dak Prescott. But your coach guarantees a win. You get a win. And now you're basically a shoe-in and a layup to go and win the NFC. So no complaining, I guess, from Cowboy Nation. All right, voicemail time. Let's make some magic, shall we? Number to get in touch with the show, in case you were wondering. It is 917-382-1151. All right, let's hear it. Green Room Jay, how are you, my brother? When, when are we getting one of those Jay rooms? It's been a while. Alex in the great, the greatest city in the world, Newark, New Jersey. few quick things, my brothers, considering there's no Jay room. We'll have to do it the old school fashioned way. You know, if you could dip back into the WFAN archives, maybe three, four years ago, pull up when the, the mighty, mighty, the mighty, 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 big blue dreaming got the Barkley. They had the QB. They had the Hall of Fame running back. They had the lunch pail, bring us back to Parcells, general manager. And then we got the coach. Oh, the mighty, mighty. When is the last time the mighty, mighty has been anywhere close? Forget to decent, to relevant, to even making it into the month of December. Dare I say November? That's number one for the Mighty Mighty. And you know who they remind me of? And by the way, they mocked the Cowboys. It's amazing. And we haven't won anything, granted. But you mocked from mocking the Cowboys and my coach and what I'm doing? Excuse me. And compared to the Mighty Mighty, I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. That's number one. Same thing with the Knicks, by the way. The Knicks. Where have they been lately? Have the Knicks fans been breaking down the third quarter turnovers lately? Like they were after a few games, after that big sixer game where we didn't have anyone. Go get me some. The Nick. The Mecca. God, talk about, you're talking about a weak version of these people's selves. And they've accomplished nothing lately. Zippity-doo-dah. Zippity-day. Speaking of a team that's accomplished nothing, Syracuse. Let's be fair, JJ. They might as well be the Giants. Every year we're promised the great recruiting class. The elite players. The elite player that doesn't play until year one, two, takes them year three. When's the last time we've been ranked? It's like, when's the last time the Giants have been decent? Same thing, three, four years? I mean, I'm not greedy, JJ. I'm not greedy. I'm not asking to go back to being an elite team, a top 10, top 15 team. I'm not asking that. I'm just asking to be a top 25 team consistently, where we used to be. We're Syracuse, okay? I'm not greedy. I don't want to be Virginia Tech on the bubble. And at some point, the coach, where every time it's, it's we're not doing this right. We're, no, no, maybe it's you're not doing something right. And I don't care about these miracle runs you make because you know what? That shouldn't disguise the fact that this team over the last five years has been horrific. And guess what? Next year, it's going to be worse because when the Bayheims leave, who are you going to have? You're going to have 21? Why does? Oh, go get me some of that. Who else are you going to have? Oh, Gerard, the center. Ooh, oh, Benny. Oh, you're going to have Benny now. Oh, he's gone. He'll leave the way he's been treated. Alex Newark 
coming out guns are blazing. And listen, we know our buddy Alex in Newark loves to troll the New York sports fan. Loves to troll the Giant fan. Loves to troll the New York Knickerbocker fan. And really, from both standpoints, you can't say shit right about now. You really can't. Now, I guess the Giant fan has the two Super Bowls over the Cowboys in their last Super Bowl in 1995. But over the last decade, yeah, Alex's point, they're competitive. They've been in the playoffs. They've been a relevant NFL franchise. You can't say it about the Giants over the last nine years. You can't. As far as my alma mater, that was a brutal loss on Saturday. They're up 10 points at halftime against Georgetown. They had no answer for Muhammad. They can't rebound. They couldn't make a big play at the end of the game. They're basically relying on Jimmy Beheim, a Cornell transfer, to run the offense over the final four or five minutes. I mean, I love Jimmy Beheim. It's a great story. He can't be your best player. I'm sorry. If he's going to be your best player, you got a world, a world, a world of trouble and a world of problems. So, Syracuse better shape it up in a hurry. There's a lot of basketball left. They'll win their games. They'll probably be exactly where they are every single year. They'll be last four out, going into the final three weeks of the regular season, and they're going to have to, you know, scratch and claw to make the tournament. So much for an easy year as far as that goes. I never get that with Syracuse. So, Alex, I feel your pain, and I could see why the trolling element from you came into play. Because you know what? You're miserable about Cuse, so misery loves company. I, I, I feel your pain, bro. I do. All right, who's next? JJ, what up? Chris from Springfield, Mass. I mean, every week I call and leave a voice message, it's the same thing with the Giants. Lose, lose, lose. Someone's injured. Someone's hurt. Quarterbacks hurt. Quarterbacks injured. Let me tell you something. Quarterbacks do not, no Giant fan can look at me straight in the face and say quarterback is not a roster need. It is absolutely a need. Um, Giants, at this point, I, Judge has had questionable moments. At this point, if you told me Mara, and Tish clean house completely, including the coach. I, I, I wouldn't be able to fight them on it at this point. Um, there's got to be wholesale changes. Something's got to give. The, the fan base has just been beaten down for too long. As many Jet fans know, we're in, we're in Jet territory. We're, we're, we're just as bad as the Jets. And this has been going on for years. Like, where's the pride? There's no giant pride anymore. Like, th- this thing is a mess. This thing's a mess. Um, I'm hoping the new general manager we hire can, can you know, address the quarterback need, which is the most important position in all the sports. So, yes, you're going to tell me, yes, I understand the Giants need pass rushing and offensive line help, but the most important position in football. And I am hoping this new general manager can make that priority number one. Wink, wink, Russell Wilson. So much for Arizona allowing, you know, all sorts of kumbaya, allowing the Giants to find their, you know, best level of performance throughout the year. So much for that. I think we could take that narrative and throw it exactly where it belongs in the garbage. This general manager's got to go. And you know what? If you're firing this general manager, give me a new head coach while you're at it. From what we've seen out of the Giants, another lost year, four and nine, going nowhere fast. My argument to anybody out there who would argue sticking with the status quo, what do you like about the team? Saquon Barkley, let's throw a party. He's over 60 yards today. Kenny Galladay. What happened to Kenny Galladay being this sort of game-changing wide receiver threat? He's none of that. 
He's either not been on the field or has not been a factor. You're paying him a ton of money. Defensively speaking, they got dead cap money all over the place. And I understand the argument some people are going to make. JJ, even if you get Russell Wilson, this team is not a championship caliber team. No, they're probably not. But I know this. Quarterback play can mask a whole lot in the NFL. So I'll take the quarterback. I'll get the other stuff around me right after the fact. Because at least I know, hey, I got the quarterback. I got Russell Wilson. I know I got one of those dudes. I'll take that, rework my roster, and act accordingly. We'll see if the Giants go down that road. But these are questions for the offseason. And it's got to start here. New GM, new scouting philosophies, clean house. Cross the board. Giants cannot think where they're at. Status quo is a good place to be moving forward. No shot. Okay, who's next? Hey, JJ. Don from Jersey calling. Uh, just wanted to talk about the Giants again. And what an absolute disgrace you saw today. I mean, they they could not do anything right. And, you know, the play before half, I mean, this has been a problem for them the entire season. And listen to that press conference after the game. Joe Judge had the nerve, this genius head coach, had the nerve to say that he's laying the foundation down and that he's encouraged by what he sees. I mean, they've gotten worse since he's taken over. They have gotten worse as the season's progressed. I don't know what he's talking about. And if this ownership group thinks Tim and Gettleman are going to come back, think he should come back, they're out of their mind. I mean, this team has sunk to, to levels that I never thought were imaginable. All right. Talk to you later. Everything you said there is accurate. The idea of selling me on progress when you're 4-9, when you got whooped and you were out of this game against the defense that allows everybody to move the ball. I don't care if you're playing with a backup quarterback. You can't look like that on offense. To have that sequence at the end of the first half, that's what inept, pathetic, sad franchises do. They get the ball at their opponent's 40. They don't move it. They punt it back and see the other team go and move it right down the field and score a touchdown. Yeah, I know Justin Herbert made a spectacular throw. Eye-opening throw. Amazing stuff. Sure. That can't be the stuff that makes you feel good as a Giant fan about the direction of your franchise. Anybody who's selling you on progress and that a foundation is where it needs to be for the Giants is a damn fool. Shame on you if you believe in that mumbo-jumbo. Who's next? JJ, this is Anthony from Edison, and all I have to say is Russell Wilson doesn't even come close to fixing anything that's wrong with the Giants. The Giants can't afford to give up a top five pick, roughly, to trade for Russell Wilson. Plus, they don't have the talent around them. And who's protecting Russell Wilson, and what playmakers are we doing? Are we giving Saquon Barkley a contract extension off of signing Russell Wilson, and that would only clog up the cap? We don't have the cap space. Gettleman has completely put us in a corner, and now we have to get out of the cap hell that we are currently going to endure because he thought there was a chance to win when there wasn't. We're simply stuck with what we have, and we have to rip it down to shreds. And we have to trade certain guys. We have to trade Bradbury, who's still a good corner. White can still get something left for him, like unlike what the Pats got from Stephon Gilmore when they could have gotten a lot, arguably, a year ago. Or you get, you have to trade a guy like Barkley while you can still get a, what, four, if you're lucky, 
and get some sort of value out of Barkley before he goes. Unlike what they did with Evan Ingram, when they could have gotten some value out of him last year, not even this year. And it's infuriating to be a Giants fan because you don't get value. You're not a smart franchise. You've been working in the Stone Age forever now. So, no, Russell Wilson's not an option. He can fix a lot. He's a great quarterback. He doesn't fix enough. I understand your narrative about where the Giants are at from a salary cap standpoint. It's all fair. It's all accurate, except for the fact that quarterback can change a lot of your fortunes. I'm in agreement on Saquon Barkley. I don't think the Giants should resign Saquon Barkley. I would move on from Saquon Barkley at the end of this year. We're in full-fledged agreement on that. I do think getting a quarterback who's top 10 ilk, top 8 ilk, could change and solve a lot of your problems. I've seen that with certain players. I've seen that with certain teams. I've seen it. That's why I'm open to the idea. I don't know how you make it work with the salary cap. Who knows what the salary cap is going to be next year? There's too many moving parts. To to say you know exactly how it's going to be on whatever it is, December the 12th, can't make that argument, folks. Not to me, at least. To me, when there are difference makers, you get a difference maker. I understand the state of the franchise. I'd be in on a star quarterback if I have the opportunity to get one. Okay, who's next? Hey, JJ, Charlie from Alcimers, calling from California. Uh, I know it's been busy with football, 12 hours, 11 straight. But I watched basically the entire Nick game, and of course the Friday, and I was just god awful, like gut wrenching, heartbreaking loss to um, with the protocol stuff. Oh, Toppin out, Barrett, and personal reason that uh, ba- uh, what is that Burks out? The Knicks season has been like complete, like they're getting out of control. It's getting out of control. Uh, good to see uh, Frank Grimes got some minutes and actually played very well. Um, and the biggest problem with the scenes flat out is not just defensively, but Julius Randle has been uh, very regression. I mean, he's second-guessing shots. He's making poor turnover, poor decision, throwing, like, backcourt violation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but presently, Custer, I agree with you on the last pod, believe you said. Uh, it just seems not good enough to, like, forget about not even make the play. They're going to miss the playoffs. So. Uh, I don't know what this team's going to do come by trade deadline, but I'm pretty sure this uh, front office value is making a value, making um, priority to making value to making the playoffs. So right now, as a president constituted, the Knicks are not good enough. And a lot of my here, I'm here in Northern California. My family's all basically Warriors fans. They almost like they're going to break uh, Steph Curry can break the all-time three-point record at the Garden. So, uh-oh. It's going to get ugly, JJ. It's going to get ugly. Take care, man. Charlie, appreciate it. So the Knicks right now are at 12 and 15. After this Warrior game, they're going to be 12 and 16. Let's be honest. Then the Knicks have the Rockets on the road. They got the Celtics on the road. Home Detroit. Home Washington. Home Atlanta on Christmas Day. At Minnesota. At Detroit. At OKC. That stretch between now and the end of the year, time to start winning some games. They got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games there. I need to start seeing some wins. Nothing is a given for this Knicks team at this point. I don't understand the mystery of what's going on with Kemba Walker. You thought maybe this would be a chance for him to go and play. 
not to be. So clearly there is a disconnect between he and the coaching staff. Forget that. I see Grimes give me 27 points. I'm intrigued. I want to see more. Did he get 27 points just based on opportunity? Maybe he did. But when you have that sort of game, it's going to open my eyes. Knox, I'm not getting giddy about Kevin Knox. I'm sorry. I've been there, done that. Uh, no. Uh, let Kevin Knox go and flourish somewhere else, and then I'll get giddy. I- I'm not getting giddy about Kevin Knox giving me 18 points. Big stretch coming up for the Knicks. And dangerous times. Season's not over, but at 12 and 15, and the way they've played over the last month, they need a kick in the ass. Major, major kick in the ass. All right. We'll come back. Get you ready for Monday night and recap what was an insane, insane day if you like to wager on the NFL. My main man, Jared Smith, is going to join us next. Probably as crazy a couple of finishes as you're going to have in the NFL from a wagering standpoint. I was on the right side of the Baltimore-Cleveland game. feel like I got away with murder. If you had Buffalo plus three and a half, my condolences because you probably should have snaked that one. Uh, This guy was kind of in the middle of everything today. He's at PicksWise. He's a good friend of the show. Jared Smith, how are you holding up after a couple of just brutal Ooh. beats for some across the NFL? It's it's a roller coaster every Sunday, JJ. And I feel like you almost have to prepare yourself for it. So when I get it, you know, when you're in the trenches of these like nitty gritty days, and let's be honest, it wasn't really that exciting of a day until the late time of the four o'clock window. And you're going to have some you win. You're going to have some you lose. I was on the wrong side of that Cowboys Pats overtime game too a few weeks ago. So I feel like I'm owed one. Uh, after that bill. But you know what? The Bills shouldn't even been in that game. Down 21 in the fourth quarter. So it, it's these games are nuts. You just hold on for dear life. You hope you're on the right side of the number. Uh, let me run this by you with Buffalo because I was thinking it and I hated McDermott punting when he did. He yeah, survived. This team ended up tying the game. Did part of you, Smitty, think about the fact late in regulation, fourth and two, I want to say, Tom Brady's on the other sideline. My quarterback's humming. He's cooking. I know it's ballsy. I know I'm passing up a chip shot, game-tying field goal. I wanted to see Buffalo go for the win right then and there. Am I I crazy for thinking that? No, I'll be honest. I think a lot of these coaches, you're seeing the aggression. You're seeing the fourth down aggression really start to change with a lot of these coaches. And it's changing the way that we're handicapping these games. For example, five is becoming a key number now in the NFL because these teams are going for two a lot. So it's making that four, seven, three kind of equation, that math we always use. It's kind of like old math. Like now five and two are live numbers in the NFL because these teams like to go for two points. And it's just, it's changing the way that a lot of these numbers are kind of baked in. We're hearing from the bookmakers this year, the teaser protection from eight to 10. You don't see games land on nine anymore, you know, in terms of the odds, because they want to go right from eight, right to 10, nine and a half to get away from that six point teaser. So There's just so much like behind the scenes sausage making that's going into these lines because of the way that the games are being coached and because of the way that they're playing out. These, it really is madness every Sunday. It's fun, frustrating, but it's madness. That Raven Brown game, you had a situation where exactly what you alluded to ended up playing out. Lamar goes down, they're down big, but as they're coming back down nine, they went new age. They said, we're going to go for two right here, right now and kind of get a sense where we're at, what we need to do, and blah, 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 blah. They don't get it. They score. But, Smitty, the amazing thing is they get the two anyway, or they get the onside <laughs> yeah. kick. 
So, that you know what? Wild. I don't even want to hear about that thought process and that decision-making because if they get 20 or 25 yards with the best kicker maybe, uh, maybe of all time, they probably win a game. Yeah, and it's becoming too – you have to know going in, and I did this today with this Chargers-Giants game. I wasn't expecting, you know, the kind of output that we saw points-wise. I think that touchdown at the end of the first half to Herbert really made that game interesting. Uh, but I, I think you have to go in looking at the coaches – and handicapping the coaches as much as you're handicapping who's on the field. Is the coach going to go for it on fourth down? Are they a two-point conversion first kind of coach? Are they a coach that's going to want to go down 14, you get the touchdown, you go for two right there? Those are things that are now much higher up on my priority list of handicapping when I'm looking at these games every Sunday. And the numbers, you know, again, it's I, I'm not even looking at the numbers anymore. It's really who's going to win the game. And and that's how I'm look, approaching these games. And it's 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 tough because you get on the wrong side of some bad beats. And the NFL is just great at it. But man, you got to know what what these coaches want to do because the game, like the rules that we're used to, they're changing with like what you're supposed to do in certain spots. And it is changing the gambling side of it for sure. You know, I've always been a believer because you've known me a long time. I like riding with the sharps when I can, when the situation calls for it. There were two games today. I didn't give a rat's ass that there was sharp money on either one of these sides. How anybody could make a case, Smitty, for Jacksonville today with oh. everything you've seen from Urban Meyer, that line, you had people actually trying to make a case for Jacksonville. And then the Jets, the Jet line went down two points. I actually was all in on firing big on New Orleans. That kind of scared me off yeah. a, bit. a smidge. Still did it. But it was one of those things where I'm waking up today, Jared. I'm like, well, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? The sharp money is not, you know, nobody knows crap. No, you know, it's it. I think the sharp money still matters early in the week. But I think later in the week, I think there's a lot of balancing of action. So these syndicates, these groups, these, you know, these smart betters, they get down so hard on these games early in the week. They slowly drift across certain books because the limits are low. Then on Sunday, the limits open up. And I think sometimes, not every time, you get these just dumps where a book is like, oh no, or like a group's like, oh no, I've got six figures exposure on one side. I need to come back on the other side. And if they do that on the other side, which is the square side, really, it'll move the line and it'll start a chain reaction because these books all copy lines from each other. It really is crazy. The Jaguars, I'll be honest, I don't know how they're favored next week. I know it's the Texans, but how are the Jaguars favored? I think they quit on Urban Meyer today. I mean, I, I never liked saying that for a team for a, a professionals, but Man, they really showed nothing today against the Titans. That was And it's not like the Titans. I had that game on. I was dialed into that game, Jared, because I was invested. Yeah. It was not a game script in which Tennessee was moving the ball and dominating them. They had a lot of drives stole out. They missed the field goal. And Jacksonville, it would be a 10-yard penalty. It would be a hold. They'd have a positive play and get called back on a penalty. The receivers ran into the, each other. How about at the end of the game, too? I mean, does Urban Meyer strike you as the guy between the end of the game and the way he's throwing his assistants under the bus? Get the hell out of there, dude. Go back to Fox and then go take a college job in a year because it's you're so shot bad. as an NFL head coach. Shot. It's really bad. And it's sad, too, because I think Trevor Lawrence has a lot of talent because we've seen the talent, but he has no chance to succeed. Absolutely no chance to succeed in that environment. Let's figure out the AFC North, shall we? Because Lamar Jackson, who the hell knows what the severity of this ankle injury is? I'd say it's a miracle if he comes back in two weeks. Um, there's a chance he's done for the year. They're eight and five. If Lamar doesn't play Smitty, I don't know if you've seen their schedule. They got Green Bay. They got yeah. the Rams. They got the Bengals. They got the Steelers. I don't think they're winning another game if Lamar doesn't come back. 
no, I, I mean, I, I would say that Steelers game week 18, because we don't know what Pittsburgh's situation will be, but that's such a rivalry game. Even if Pittsburgh's out of the playoff race by then, you know that they're going to want to spoil Baltimore. Um, I'm already looking at that line for next week. The Packers are only laying seven. Um, if Lamar's not playing, that line will be more than seven come Sunday. Uh, I promise you that. And that's a prime teaser spot already. I already gave you Dolphins uh, eight and a half right now against the Jets I think eight and week. a half is where they'll lock that line. I saw seven as an opening. They were not going to keep that line at seven because you knew everybody no. was going to tease it down, boom, from seven to pick them. I wouldn't even be surprised, Smitty, if that line got to nine or nine and a half. It is because of that teaser protection we talk about. I think people are going to look at the Dolphins as a prime teaser spot next week in a low total game. I think that line blows through nine. I think it closes nine and a half. And I, I think that's a great teaser leg with the, with the Packers. And I'll be honest, there's a couple of really good 10-point teaser legs next week. I, Dallas is not losing to the Giants. I'm sorry. That stadium at MetLife next week is going to be And that'll Cowboys be 90% Cowboys fans. Yeah, absolutely. 90%. Finally, the Bucs have to beat the Saints next week, right? That line's 11 and a half. So you got a couple of double-digit favorites. Double-digit favorites, 3-0 and against the spread and straight up today. They went 3-0 and last week. What I saw in prior kind of research assignments, December and on, December 1st and on, later in the year, double-digit favorites, they don't lose. They might not cover, but they don't lose. And as the markets now become really sharp later in the year, I know 10-point teasers sound crazy, but if you're giving me three double-digit favorites, I'm confident that those three favorites are going to win. I think I have a better chance of those three favorites all winning straight up than I do trying to pick three spreads and just hope to go two and one and be, and be profitable. Because, man, these markets are just absolutely brutal. And these teams, you just don't know what kind of performance you're going to get every week. Who are we betting on to win the AFC North? Are we betting on Cincy? Who, by the way, again... You know what, Smitty? They, they, they had a lot of things go against them. They muffed the punt. They missed the field goal. Yeah. I thought their game plan, quite frankly, was bad because San Francisco was missing all its corners. Let Joe Burrow cook, for goodness sakes. They showed me something again in a loss, though, because Burrow is just clutch, dude. He's got yeah. an it factor about him. I want to invest in them, I think, to win the AFC North, but their schedule's tough. Is it Pittsburgh? Is it Cleveland? Who are we investing in not named Baltimore? I, I have a ticket on Cincy at four to one. I'm just nice. going to ride Good that. Value. I'm going to ride that probably. I mean, they get the Broncos next week. That game's actually, I saw that look ahead line to pick them. So, and you know, Denver's been spunky, but I, I, I think push comes to shove. That's a game Cincinnati can win. Then they get the Ravens at home. And again, Lamar Jackson's status, I think is going to tilt these odds significantly in one direction. I saw Cleveland before this week at six to one. And if you thought they were going to win on Sunday, that, it, that was the bet to make at 6-1 to one because now the odds start to really accelerate. You get a win. You beat your team in first place. And they got some help because Cincinnati lost as well. I would imagine all three teams. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the odds yet. They haven't reopened. But I bet all three teams are probably right around the same price right now because Baltimore's got the one-game lead, but they're obviously quarterback hampered. You've got two really tough schedules for Cleveland and Cincinnati. Is Pittsburgh totally dead? I mean, they're only a game back. No, I don't think they're back. totally dead. I don't. I don't think they're totally dead. That tie could end up helping them for it all could. we know. And they have a tough game against the Titans this week. Then they play the Chiefs. I mean, it, I'll be honest. Brutal the one thing schedule. the NFL is doing with, the, with, these, with this extra game is that extra game is always a divisional game. And there's a bunch of – there's a couple of divisions that are going to come down on the wire. And that's going to be the one right there that we're all looking at. Final one, buddy. Monday night, I can't wait for this game. Rams getting points against the Cardinals. I'm on the Rams. I'm 3-1 this week. I'm hoping to make it 4-1. Okay. Public money on the cards. Looks like there's more handle, more of the big boy action coming in on Los Angeles. 
Yeah. Cardinals have done me dirty a lot this year, Jared. Ugh. Where do you stand on this game? So I've got a big ticket on the Cardinals to win the Super Bowl and to win the NFC West. So I already have a nice slice of this, but you're right. The sharp money now, granted, what does the sharp money mean after what we've seen lately? But definitely the sharp money buying this off of three. I saw it even touch two. And then you saw a little bit of buyback towards Arizona. I would lean Rams because they need this game more. Uh, but it's tough to go against Arizona, man. They showed me so much last week going on the road. Kyler's first game back. I, I would be very cautious to to be to be really hard on L.A. in this game. But I would say the sharp money and probably the motivation favors L.A. a little bit. I like that those angles are working in my favor. That was many of the reasons why I like San Francisco in the game. <laughs> you Sometimes go. you get lucky with that sort of stuff, Smitty. Uh, bro, we will have you back within the next couple weeks because it's still too early to dive into all these bowl games. But in about a week or so, I'm going to be ready, baby. So uh, it's almost time. I already got a few looks that I like. So I'll keep it. I'll keep it all buttoned up. For you. We'll sample. We'll sound a bad signal. You might even get some numbers you like that much more. <laughs> Smitty, good it's stuff, true. bro. We'll chat soon. Appreciate you. Before we say goodbye, we go from Jared Smith to our main man, the great Jeff Money. What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. This will be the Monday night game, which you know already. But before that, uh, during this uh, call, we already finished our 1 o'clock games and uh, um, a nice easy win. Well, not an easy win, but a nice win there by the Cowboys hit my money play. And the unbelievable comeback win that we were both family played. One more the best of the year. The Ravens covering that plus 2.5 was sweet. So I'm 2-0 and going into the late game. We'll see what happens with that. And as far as you, your 2-0 and also is spectacular right, for the 1 o'clock game. We'll see if we can keep it going. All right. So for the Monday night game, as you know, I already picked it already. I'm going to go as part of my contest play. I'm taking the Cardinals minus the two. That's my play. The Cardinals minus the two on Monday night. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. You do not have my blessing for Monday night football. Joe and I both need the Los Angeles Rams. That will hopefully make it a 4-1 week for both of us. Joe snaked one with Tampa Bay. I wonder if that'll be the difference between winning and losing old school and new school. And a final note. The final three for the Mets, Quitaro, Joe Espada, the former Yankee coach, and Buck freaking Showalter. And most people around the Mets believe that Showalter is the front runner to get this job. Could you imagine if Buck Showalter is managing the Mets? That is not going to sit well with me. That is not going to sit well with a whole lot of Yankee fans. I can tell you that. I'm sure we'll have an update on that come Thursday for Tuesday's pod. Ask Me Anything returns. The floor is yours. Yeah, we'll have Knicks Warriors. Yeah, we'll have a ton of football stuff. Yeah, maybe the Mets have a manager. Ask Me Anything. Rocking and rolling. And a final note. You wanted something to feel good about. NYCFC. And I saw the scene in Portland, Oregon. Looked insane. I'm not into it. I know many of you might be. NYCFC bringing a title to New York. Some will say it ends the title drought. Yeah, not so fast. Not so fast. Not so fast. Four midges, folks. That's just the way I look at it. You don't like it? Too freaking bad. I love you all. Stefan, outstanding job. Sorority, outstanding job. JJ, signing off. We're back on Tuesday. Be good, everybody. 